You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I promise you, Nolan Ryan, in his prime, never possessed a heater the likes of which we're on right now. Five consecutive weeks for the Once Upon a Saturday Tour. We have seen games come down to the last possession in the last minute. Four out of the last five weeks' games have been decided on the final play, and still the haters will claim it's luck. The haters will claim, this just happens. No, it doesn't. We're on a heater right now, so let's keep it rolling. We're jam-packed high atop a hopeful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hopeful because Nashville's college football team hung with Georgia yesterday. How about that? It's Sunday night, October 15th, the year of our Lord, 2023. What a wild week seven. While you were sleeping last night, I was somewhere over the Big 12 in an airplane watching games, coming back from Seattle, trying to make sense of what we saw yesterday and what we almost saw. And... um. Did we see what we thought we saw? I got some stuff to say about Jimbo. I got some stuff to say about Lincoln Riley. I got some thoughts on the Dan Lanning decision-making. I was at the Oregon-Washington game yesterday, and I have got a metric ton of stories to tell you about that. We have got the Once Upon a Saturday Tour's Week 8 destination just a few minutes away from being announced. I've got early best bets. Another winning day for the Ramen Noodle Express yesterday. Like I said, we're on a heater. Seminole, Oklahoma is tuned in. Tacoma, Washington. Jenkins, Kentucky. Ringgold, Georgia. I got one more piece of breaking news that I've hidden. Even from the staff, I've hidden it all day. It is that time. It is. Meemaw told me this would eventually come. Management has broken the glass. They've pushed the red button. It's happening. Your boy is flying up to New York on Wednesday at some point, and I will do uh, Inside College Football. It's a chair the likes of which Danny Cannell have graced before, and so I'll be up there. Somehow we're going to do a live show Tuesday in Nashville and Thursday in Nashville, but we'll do Inside College Football Wednesday up there. So looking forward to that. Don't exactly know what to expect. I'm not sure the white t-shirt will be welcome there, so you'll probably see me dressed differently. But yeah, busy week, and then we'll cap it off, of course with a destination appointment viewing type situation for the Once Upon a Saturday Tour this Saturday. But that is in the future. We want to talk about what's in the immediate rear view. Let's let's just wipe that smudge off there and let's take a look at what we saw yesterday. Washington beat Oregon yesterday, 36-33. to This was legitimately one of the best games I've ever witnessed in my life. Growing up in rural Georgia, of course, a young J.P., Knew where Seattle was, didn't ever think he'd be watching football games in Seattle, certainly didn't think he would be attending football games in Seattle. I got to tell you something. Look at this. If you have the privilege of watching on YouTube right now, I got in the building before it was open to the public, and I took the eye, Josh, and I just tried to capture 
what this place looks like. It's like a screensaver, especially if you go into what I firmly believe is the steepest upper deck in all of sports, right up there with Dodger Stadium and the Sky Dome. I went up there and I shot the field, totally tranquil. And then off in the distance, you've got the sun coming up. You've got the water. Sail gators are on their way in. And then we had a knockdown, drag-out war on that football field. So juxtapose how quiet and peaceful and serene it is with just a few hours later, we got Oregon missing a field goal at the end of regulation. Here's more footage courtesy of the iJosh. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening on podcast, picture a missed field goal. And then there we are, once again, in the middle of another field storming. It seems to always be in this corner of the end zone we're standing as well. Uh, Coach Quinn, close behind me, had to make sure she didn't get trucked. It almost happened a couple of times. People mistake her for a student a lot. And uh, it was wild. Such a wild scene. Seven lead changes in this game yesterday. Bo Nix, Michael Penix lived up to, if not exceeded, all of the hype around this game. Here's what's wild about it. Maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't. You've got your own preferences. When you talk to me about instant classics and great football games, there have to be a combination of a couple of things for me. I want high-level offense, but I also want high-level defense. And you may think to yourself, well, you can't have that. I would argue we got it in this game. We had 956 total yards, but there were multiple key defensive moments in this game. There were multiple turnovers on downs. That doesn't happen just because you trip over your shoelaces. Like, there have to be defenders. There has to be defense being played at at least somewhat of a reasonable level. This was un. Believable. The noise in Husky Stadium yesterday afternoon rivaled just about anything I've witnessed in the SEC. And I want to pause because you think I'm lying, but most of you haven't been there. And I hadn't been there until yesterday, so I didn't believe it. Cooper Patagna walking up and down the halls talking to me about Washington Husky Stadium. I just thought it was purple propaganda. P squared, as Meemaw would call it. It wasn't. It, it unbelievable, like ear-piercing noise. And it wasn't just on the first drive. Anyone can get loud on the first drive. It was sustained. It was all the way throughout the day. It's how I picture the Metrodome used to sound when the Twins were in the World Series, which is a, a painful memory for some long-suffering Braves fans. Um, man, those people made that an extremely hostile place to play yesterday. I, it was right up there. Like Tennessee, when they played Alabama last year, it's the loudest I've ever heard any venue. This approach that at times yesterday, and you're working with 30,000 less in attendance and open end zones. Unbelievable how loud that place was. So what's everyone want to talk about? Uh, It seems to me like everyone wants to talk about Dan Lanning's decision making, and he's being questioned, and whether he should have gone for it on this fourth down, whether he should have kicked a field goal on that fourth down. Hey, on this show, we like to talk about winners first. So I'd like to ask you, Does anyone want to talk about the team that put that heat on Oregon? Does anyone want to talk about what put them in position to have to decide whether to go for it on a number of those fourth downs? Oregon ran for 204 yards yesterday, and it wasn't good enough. Bo Nix, 10 yards per completion, wasn't good enough. 10 of 16 on third down, wasn't good enough. Uh, Nix was 20 of 24 for 221 just in the second half. And that was the side of the ball that lost. That wasn't good enough. Why? Uh, Because Washington's that good. That's why. Washington and Michael Penix had a career day. And what was interesting was when you came into the game, you always wonder, are you going to be able to live up to your reputation against quality competition? 
Same thing I wondered about Dylan Gabriel against Texas the week before. Well, he did. They did. They lived up to it and then some. Uh, for the course of the regular season up to yesterday, here's a post-it pop stat. Penix was throwing for about 400 yards per game. He threw for 316 yesterday. Plenty good enough. Plenty good enough. Rushing, they didn't have a 100-yard rusher in any game this season. Dylan Johnson, 20 carries, 100 yards. Stats and info dutifully tells me that's right at five yards per clip. Plenty good enough, and then some. Points per game, they were scoring about 46.8 per game. They scored 36 yesterday. Plenty good enough. What's interesting also, if you go back and watch the prediction I did, is I predicted Oregon to win. No confidence. We didn't bet on this. It was a very, very low confidence prediction. Uh, but I said, I assume Oregon will score 38. They didn't. You want to know where not kicking those field goals comes in. You want to know where not converting fourth downs comes in. That's the difference between scoring into the 40s and not converting and being in the low 30s. Uh, Washington was incredible yesterday. You, you know you're watching NFL talent. Like, Adunze is an NFL lock, first-round type talent at receiver. I think the country found that out yesterday. I think most people who have watched him already know, and he's not the only one on that roster. He's just the premier guy in that receiver room. Eight receptions, 128. Troy Franklin is that for Oregon. Eight receptions, 154. So all the big players in this game went off the way they were supposed to. And um, every, everyone's now talking about whether there's going to be a rematch between these teams. I'll get to that. Uh, the reason why I'm skipping the Mio on the desk, we're just going straight coffee tonight, is because, well, number one, this game took place in Seattle, so we had a long way to come to get back for tonight's show. Uh, the other reason is I made an executive decision, and I decided not to sleep on the flight home last night. I wanted to go back, not watch the condensed game. I wanted to go back and watch the entire game. And so uh, thanks to the folks at United Airlines for just providing copious, dangerous, dare I say borderline illegal amounts of caffeine to keep me awake, but also um, for, for getting us home safe and allowing me to, to come to a couple of conclusions. Number one, I don't think that there were losers in the grand scheme of things in this game yesterday. Probably my net reaction was I'm a little bit more to moderately more impressed with both teams than I was coming in. And you know I was already pretty high on both of them. I had Oregon top five. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to drop out of that. I would imagine the JP poll may have some of you in shambles Tuesday night. If you weren't ready for Notre Dame to be rated higher than USC, even though they had two losses to USC's zero, you may not be ready for what comes Tuesday night. But you know what I've noticed? Anytime there's questionable decision-making from coaches, Okay, anytime there's questionable decision-making, in-game strategy-style stuff from a coach, everyone wants to have their gavel moment. Like, everyone just wants to speak in definitive terms. This guy's an idiot, or this guy's a genius. This guy's a failure. This was a terrible decision. This was a great decision. 99% of the time, there's shades of gray around all that. So you saw the game yesterday, and if you didn't, go back and watch it. I would encourage you to instant classic. Dan Lanning had some decisions to make. Oregon had some decisions to make. Um... They are very aggressive by nature, very aggressive. That's their MO. They've done it sometimes to their success, sometimes to their detriment. I think they're willing to live with that. I have this weird thing where when coaches make decisions and they don't work out, people fill my inbox as if I endorsed the decisions 
and they expect me to answer for them. I don't have to answer for anything Dan Lanning or anyone else did yesterday. They do. He did. We'll play it in just a second. But I don't have to answer for that. I, I don't. I, I was watching just like you were, but you guys probably come at me because you know I'm a little bit more. I'm a little bit more apt to lean towards benefit of the doubt towards coaches' decisions than your average member of the media, because I'm not your average member of the media, nor do I claim to be. Uh, no, my philosophy on this show has always just been, I trust that I don't know what they know. And that not, not just talking about football acumen. I have, I've always respected the amount of prep and attention to detail that goes into getting ready for a game. And also the situational awareness in getting ready to play an opponent think would boggle most people's minds. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean you couldn't make a wrong decision. It just means you're equipped with a whole heck of a lot more information than I am or someone with a laptop on their knees is when it comes to making decisions on whether we're going to go for it on fourth down, what look we get on fourth down. So anyway, I'm on CBS Sports HQ yesterday talking to the esteemed Hakeem Dermish after the game. He asked me, what'd you think about those uh, decisions to go for it on fourth down? I said, the only one I really didn't care for was the one before the half, because I just didn't think it made sense. And sure enough, after the game, Dan Lanning got asked nine different ways from Sunday about it. Here's what he had to say. I'll always go back and, and uh, evaluate myself, right, and say, okay, what, what can I do different? Um, you know, that being said, you know, from probability standpoint, how we felt about the looks that we were getting, we felt like we had a chance to have success in both both situations, really, are all the situations today where we went for it on fourth. Um, I'll certainly go back and evaluate myself, and I'm, it's about adapting. The game's about adapting and figuring out where you can be better. You, you take one of those field goals early on, right, and we, we are looking at probably a, a little bit different situation. So everyone, like, obviously everyone's got an opinion on whether you should go for it on fourth down. Uh, my whole thing with the way I look at that is I've always been – I've never liked – the people that enjoy benefit of the doubt. I've never been a fan of people who get benefit of the doubt on their side. I, mm, why should I say this? I'm, I'm kind of backspacing because I know I'm probably going to clip this later. Here it is. Here it is, Jesse. Here it is, Colin. I have never appreciated people who wait to have benefit of hindsight on their side before they judge a decision. In other words, the, the decision's made, and then you got folks that go, uh-oh, and then they wait to see whether it works out or not. Then they go, terrible or gutsy, ballsy. Well, you're not really judging it properly. Now, if you could hit the pause button when he makes the decision and say, I don't like this no matter if it works out or not, or I'm a fan of this no matter whether it works out or not, I'm okay with that. Most people don't do that. Some people in our profession don't do that. So here's the thing. No, I, I would have preferred they kick a field goal at the end of the half. The other stuff, that's personal preference. That's philosophy. I could not care less. I appreciate it. I respect it. Here's what they're not doing. They're not flipping a coin on that Oregon sideline. They know who they are. If you don't like it, you don't like it. If you do like it, you do like it. I don't really think they care much. Uh, but I was looking at it from the perspective of he thinks he's got the better team. Like, he trusts his players. That's really what it came down to. They think they've out-recruited and maybe out-athlete Washington, and they trust their guys to come through on fourth down. They didn't. They didn't execute on fourth down. Washington did. So I want to keep going back and emphasizing this. They're not playing against air, guys. Like, Washington's, Washington's allowed to try. Those folks were allowed to scream their heads off. They did, and they did. In, in, in both cases, affirmative yesterday. 
And that's why they didn't get it done. They didn't execute because Washington kept them from executing. Now, in the Oregon circles, they'll probably look and say, if we do what we're supposed to do, it doesn't matter what Washington does. That's how competitors should think. I'm just telling you, it, it, it panned out the way it panned out. There's no gavel to drop on the desk. There's no one dude's an idiot, one dude's a hero. Like, if, Was if, if Oregon converts one of these things, we're talking different. It may even have been a 55-45 proposition, proposition edge Oregon, and the 45 just happened to run the day. Could be totally different if they play again. The biggest takeaway for me, aside from that, is um, it used to be that if you were 37 years old and you were a head coach for the first time, you were probably at Toledo. You were probably at Boise State. Because back in the day, Boise State was not viewed as a premier program. My point is you were learning the lessons out of the spotlight. Modern college football has evolved to the point where a lot of guys get their first shot at Georgia, Kirby Smart. They get their first shot at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, Ohio State, Ryan Day, or in this case, Oregon, Dan Lanning. Wonderful. I'm all for it. It doesn't mean you just skip the learning process or what I call the bloom phase. The bloom phase is when you're becoming whatever you're going to become, which is hopefully just a beautiful flower with petals, in this case, multiple championships to your name, but it doesn't magically just occur that you learn all the lessons that your predecessors had to go off and learn out of the white hot spotlight. No, you still got to learn them. So for instance, when it comes to game management, if Dan Lanning could go back and do it over again, well, maybe he does kick the field goal to go into the half. You know what that is? It's a lesson learned. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's not the dude's an idiot. And then if he did it the other way and it didn't work out, he's not aggressive enough, which, by the way, a lot of folks speaking out of both sides of their mouth today would absolutely have vocalized whether it worked out one way or the other. So, I mean, if I were him, I wouldn't really care about that. What I care about is do an honest self-assessment of me, which he talked about in his postgame presser, and look at numbers, because I know what the math says on that stuff. The math says that doesn't work out. Uh, the math says that's not the right move. I've always been very fascinated at how differently analytics are applied sometimes in football as opposed to baseball. In baseball, you know you've got 162 games. In football, you know you've got 12. And in college football, you can't afford to lose virtually any of the games. And so how much does gut come in? How much does momentum in game come in? How much does momentary feel come in and outweigh analytics? And you know what? You get paid a lot of money to make those decisions. A lot of folks last night... When the stadium was emptying, we're talking about whether we're going to see this game again. I don't know. Maybe we will. I would not jump ahead on that. Pac-12's way too competitive this year to just assume, well, that was round one. They're saying the same thing in the Big 12 right now. OU Texas. Oh, that was round one. Hey, maybe it was. Um, I will tell you this. I wouldn't assume anything but I do think there's separation in the Pac-12. It's just not really where maybe the odds makers thought it was going to be. The odds makers installed USC as the preseason favorite. USC is not the first or second best team in that conference right now. We'll talk about the Trojans in just a second, actually. Oregon and Washington, in whichever order you want to put them in, are the best teams out there. Not only that, I think there may be some distance that's starting to form between number one, number two, and the rest of the pack but it's not so insurmountable as to be upset-proof. And each of them have several challenging games remaining. The updated odds to win the Pac-12, Washington number one, Oregon number two, 
USC number three, pretty wide gap, and then it's Oregon State, Utah, Washington State, UCLA. There was a portal showcase for the Pac-12. There was a this game was a transfer portal showcase. You would have thought USC Colorado was that because of how those rosters have been constructed. I think Washington Oregon was the transfer portal showcase. If you think about where Bo Nix was a couple of years ago, he's down at Auburn. He's been left for dead. Michael Penix is at Indiana. Can't stay healthy. Turnover prone. Dude's left for dead as far as the national conversation is concerned. And they hop in the portal and they head west and they go to Washington and Oregon respectively. And you find out the players were not trash at all. Maybe in some cases their surroundings were, or maybe in some cases their development was, or maybe in some cases they just didn't have the right system. But I look at this, and it's a testament, and it's a lesson to be learned for dozens of other guys in the sport. Just because it's not working out somewhere doesn't mean it's not going to work out. Okay, With Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., they could have sat there and wasted away at Auburn and Indiana and gone on and sold insurance. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But these dudes have Sunday potential about them. And it wouldn't have been realized had they not transferred. So I know everyone wants to look at a guy who leaves a program and says, oh, he's taking the easy way out. Sometimes the easy way out is the smart way. And by the way, it's never easy leaving a program. It's it's not as cut and dry as that. Uh, Sometimes it's a real challenge to leave a program that you committed to and you thought you were going to spend the next three, four, five years of your life there. Um, both of them made the right decisions. Both of those staffs have made the most out of it. So credit to both teams. What a showcase they put on yesterday. May very well not be the last time we see them play. And if they play again on that Friday night in Las Vegas, that is Pac-12 championship game night, um, consider me a viewer. So that was where we were for week seven. The Instagram story was on fire. If you're not following on Instagram, don't know what else to tell you. You don't like free money. You don't like behind the scenes content, I guess. At Late Kick Josh. Now that that's out of the way, let me pull this up. I like to post this simultaneous to us announcing it on the show. Uh, Week seven in the books. It was a wonderful time. Week eight, once upon a Saturday tour. I won't beat around the bush. We're headed to Columbus, Ohio. Penn State at Ohio State. You know what's beautiful about this? Again, this is not my network, but I love the concept so much that I tout it anyway. Big noon kickoff is in the building, which means, number one, we get to catch an afternoon flight home, and number two, we get to head up and see our friends in Columbus again, and number three, we get to see a showdown we've been waiting for all year. There are three games, round-robin style, that we've been waiting on, And it involves Michigan, but it also involves Penn State, Ohio State, and they're all going to play each other. And this is sort of round one. Ooh, watch the landing there. Um, The game has opened at Ohio State minus four and a half. We are right now on a run that has seen us go five consecutive weeks of witnessing games come down to either the final play or the final minute. Will it be six in a row? Uh, Early signs point to yes. Of course, it's really, really tough to navigate. I will give you one more little tease here, immunity. I am normally rolling solo as far as a front-facing talent. Now, we got Gelby on the road. We got Coach Quinn on the road. But normally, you just see me. Jesse and Colin, I have it on good authority that there will be a guest. And I won't go as far as to say special, but I have it on good authority. There will be a guest that tags along 
to Columbus, Ohio with me this weekend. And whom's to say who it is? Really anyone's guess right now. But so help me, if that guess tags along and this ends up being a 38-17 blowout and I'm all about taking the credit with none of the blame, you know where that blame's going. So buyer beware. Let's move on. We've got so much in the show tonight. I, we just, you, 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 anybody who doubts whether I'm Pac-12 paid, we just spent 20 minutes on Oregon, Washington to open the show. Hold on a second. Good for you, Josh. Good for you. Some have made claims of SEC homerism in the past. Not me. Not me. Notre Dame just blew out USC yesterday, 48 to 20. I was parked at a bar in downtown Seattle watching this go down, and I just had a little subtle smile on my face. Now, before the peristyle over at uscfootball.com freaks out and thinks that I was rooting against you guys, no, I wasn't, but I thought some things were in play here, and they ended up being validated. So you know that saying, you are what your record says you are? It's trash. In college football, it's trash. It always has been. It's very much a case-by-case thing. People say it all the time to sound cool. It's bumper sticker logic. It, it passes the test of driving by you. But if you think critically about it, mm-mm. So last week, I come on the show Tuesday. I drop the JP poll. And then the piranhas go crazy. But you know what no one pointed out? No one. I was surprised by this. No one noticed last week that we had two-loss Notre Dame power rated above undefeated USC. You see, the AP had USC 10th. They had Notre Dame 21st last week. Couldn't be us, friends. Couldn't be us. We had Notre Dame 15th. We had USC all the way down at 17. The model's been selling all its stock on USC. I had some folks come at me last night and say, well, Josh, everyone knew this was coming. No, you didn't. You did not. Everyone didn't know this was coming. The way I know that is because this point spread sat still all week. And, and I had some folks call me out about that power rating last week. So no, everyone didn't know this. But to quickly tee this up, and then let's dive into this, let's just hit the rewind button, Colin, a few days ago. Roll it. It's another potential odds-making clinic setting up because you got undefeated top 10 USC here. You got the defending Heisman winner. They're going on the road to face two lost Notre Dame. Just lost at Louisville. They scored a garbage time touchdown to even get back to within two possessions. Uh, Notre Dame's favored. Love the Irish this week. Love them to get right up off the deck. I think they'll win the game. I think they'll cover. I think there are some terminal issues for USC in their defense right now. Sometimes we nail it so much I have to fan myself. So um, here's the thing. I got some good stuff to say about USC. Uh, listen to this. USC, 23 to 13 first down edge. That's good job, guys. One thumb up, way to go. 302 to 251 yardage advantage over Notre Dame. Excellent. Gold sticker for you. They ran 25 more plays. Control that ball. Control that clock. Control the game. They were 6 of 13 on third down. Notre Dame was only 3 of 10. Those are badlock stats. Those are not padlock stats because the padlock stat is minus 5 turnovers with another 2 turnovers on downs. It is Sarah McLaughlin's special time. Roll it, Colin. The drive chart for your USC Trojans last night sounded as follows. Interception. Punt, field goal, turnover on downs, interception, 
Interception. Field goal. Punt. Touchdown. Woo! Punt. Touchdown. Woo! Turnover on downs. Fumble. Fumble. Why are you quiet, Josh? Well, it's because that was the end of the game. Caleb Williams threw three interceptions last year. He threw three of them last night. And it's not all his fault. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, as always. It's not all his fault. Uh, He was running for his life last night. And running was not something that he did to the tune of a whole lot of yardage. Talked about that as well. When you're physically superior to a team, you just flex. And that's what Notre Dame did last night. They were physically superior to USC. They knew it. Marcus Freeman knew it. I think uh, pretty, pretty soon the whole country knew it. And they just flexed. They just, they just looked in the side of the mirror. They puffed up that chest and they flexed. They had six sacks. They had 11 tackles for loss. USC had one tackle for loss. Notre Dame's a good team. All the external dynamics notwithstanding. Like, we told you they were going to lose to Louisville last week. It was a horrible spot for them. Now, I am a believer... Um, kind of psychologically in this thing. I can't prove it. I can't quantify it. But when, you are, when you're on a run like Notre Dame was, they played Ohio State right down to the wire, they lost. They go to Duke, and it's right down to the wire, and they win. By the third week, you're trying to get college kids up for a third consecutive week emotionally, and you're facing another team, and it's their Super Bowl. It was just a bad spot for them. However, I'm a believer that once the bomb goes off, once the loss happens in that stretch, the reset button is hit. So it's not purely a physical exhaustion thing. This is my philosophy on this. If it were purely a physical exhaustion thing, they would have still been running on empty last night. They weren't. They looked like they had been shot out of a cannon. And they were the ones forcing all the mistakes. They were the ones living in the opponent's backfield. So I I don't know. Anyone out there who understands the intricacies of the human mind and psyche. If you want to pair up and let's work on something and let's try and put some data behind this in the, uh, what the casuals would call the off-season, we can work on that. Defense, special teams. USC is a fragile team. They're a hollow team. USC feels like a hollow team, kind of. Offense gets all the attention out there. Uh, Seemingly at the expense of defense, seemingly at the expense of special teams. I know in reality they practice all this stuff like everyone else does, but you, you become what you're intentional about. They're not intentional about being good defensively. They are not intentional about being rock solid on special teams because if they were intentional about it, they wouldn't accept this. And again, I'm, I'm not suggesting Lincoln Riley has his feet propped up watching this replay, watching this film today going, ugh. Oh, well, what can you do? I'm not suggesting that. I'm just suggesting there's a physicality and there's a mentality that you have to play this game with to win at the highest levels or compete at the highest levels. They don't have it. USC does not have that. And they're about to go to the Big Ten next year. And I say that like the Pac-12, some joke this year. It's why they're probably not done losing in the Pac-12 this year. Need to understand something. They had layups the first half dozen games of their season, that's done now. Like last night was the start of the downhill slope of the roller coaster. They got Utah, they got Washington, they got Oregon, they got UCLA. All these teams can beat them. Every one of those teams can beat them if they don't find something inside themselves pretty quick. It's until further notice, it feels like there's a restrictor plate on the USC program, kind of self-imposed too. 
Because Southern Cal can be whatever they want to be. Lincoln Riley can have whatever kind of staff he wants to have. He's chosen to have what he has right now, and therefore the product is what it is right now. It shouldn't be a surprise. Some of the struggles they're having right now are the same struggles that he had at Oklahoma. Now, you flip that coin over. I'm also always the one to say, as I've said a million times before, so this will be a million and one, just because something hasn't been yet doesn't mean it can't be. Lincoln Riley's still a pretty young coach. Maybe he evolves himself. I hope he evolves himself. You know, to get selfish on you for a second, um, it's, it's, in, it's in my best interest for USC to be good. Financially, it's in our best interest for them to be good, but I'm not going to sit here and lie to you about them. We have too many other things to talk about on the show. So Notre Dame, hats off. Notre Dame can still be a really good team this year. I think they are a really good team. I, I just think they, I just think football happened to them. I think football happened. And they, they all, football happened last night as well. Like all that that just happened over the past few weeks, that's how this game actually works. That's how the external factors come in play. That's how bounce of ball happens. That's how the randomization of turnovers can bite you one way or the other. That's football. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Academy Sports and Outdoors is more than that, though. It is life. Has anyone used that tagline? Hold on a second. Academy Sports and Outdoors is more than football. It's life. I'm going to text that to them tomorrow. <clears throat> um, so, a lot of you tailgate. I witnessed sailgating yesterday. I'm not quite sure you could use an Academy tent on the open water, although there are other products at Academy you could use on the open water. But most of you tailgate on dry land. It's fair. Either way, it's your constitutional right to do so. I just encourage you guys to shop Academy before you do it. They got everything you need there. You got fall sports starting. Academy's got everything you need. You also happen to have our show free of charge to watch right now. And that's because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. If you ever wonder, which you probably don't, but if you ever find yourself wondering, hmm, why don't I have to pay for this show, but other shows I have to pay for? Academy, that's the reason. We appreciate them. And, and also the answer to where should I go for my outdoor sporting good supplies and then some academy, that's where you should go. And the answer to the question of what if I don't have an academy in my location? Where do I go? Academy.com, right there on the World Wide Web. Click, 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 check out, fill in the address, good to go. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods plus, and they bring our show to you free of charge, our lifelong partners here. That's not in writing. They don't technically have to be our partner for life, but it's how I think of us in Academy. Let's move on. We've got a lot of games to talk about. Um, 
Why not? Let's talk about Tennessee. Let me take a little sip of coffee. About to fall asleep. Mm. No cream, no sugar. Don't need to church it up. Just, just black coffee the way God intended it to be. Tennessee beat Texas A&M 20 to 13 yesterday. To me, the style of this game was so easy to see coming. You know how rarely we bet totals on this show? And we bet a total, and we bet it pretty early last week. And the total in this game was, I think, 56 and a half. Or we got it at 56. That's where the number was. Uh, the, The winner of this game was a little bit harder to figure out. We ended up picking Tennessee. We got that one right. But the style of the game, Colin, let's hit that rewind button again. There is a recipe here, and it is a recipe for a low-scoring game. I'm confident in the under. I'll go ahead and give you a little, little preview now. That's one of the best bets of this week. Yeah, your final here was 20-13. to 13. Maybe now people have figured out what kind of football team Tennessee actually is. The Vols won yesterday. This is not your Mimos Tennessee. This is not your Mimos Josh Heupel-led team. Do you, do you realize... I didn't write it down. I have to pick this out of memory. This was the first game in Heupel's history as a head coach. His team has scored under 30, and he won. What? Yeah, so that bears repeating. I'm not going to do it. You can rewind if you want to hear it again. Tennessee is not the Tennessee you think they are. Maybe you finally watched him yesterday, like we told you to do, and you see Tennessee is a run-the-ball play solid defense, and hopefully hit a couple of shots downfield type of offense and type of football team. That's who they are. And they're good enough to win a lot of games that way right now. They outrushed A&M 232-54. to I cannot overstate how impressive that stat is. Miami beat A&M earlier this year. They ran it for 77 yards. Bama just beat A&M. They could not run the ball to save their lives. So the teams that have beaten A&M even this year – couldn't run it on them. Tennessee ran it for over 230 yards. That is your padlock stat. So paper pop number one. Uh, Paper pop number two. This is a padlock stat and then some. According to our friends at Pro Football Focus, Texas A&M quarterback Max Johnson was pressured on 25 of 39 dropbacks, and that includes 11 QB hits. Tennessee may have the best defensive front in the league. No one saw it coming. No one expected it because no one paid attention to it. They had upgraded their defensive talent acquisition, and no one had paid attention to it because people think Josh Heupel, Tennessee, air raid, throw the ball all over the place. None of that is what they are right now. And they got Bama this week. They got Bama this week. Tennessee's so fascinating. Like yesterday... They had 13 points out of five trips to the red zone. That's terrible. They shouldn't win that game, but they did. They found ways because it's a complimentary team right now. They are second to the, listen to what I'm about to say. Tennessee is second to last in the SEC in explosive play rate right now. They can't throw the ball down the field. They can't stretch the field vertically, but they're finding ways to win because they're a complimentary football team. Joe Milton is who he is at this point. And in some cases, they're having to work around that. But they are because they're good enough and they're complimentary enough to do that. Now, check that calendar, kids. It's the third Saturday in October. If you don't know what that means, ask your parents. Tennessee, Alabama's back. This time last year, I was trying to convince you 
that this was a premier rivalry. Then you saw what happened in Neyland. Now maybe you don't need convincing anymore. Well, this year it happens down in Tuscaloosa. Bama is a nine-point favorite against Tennessee. You think that's high, don't you? Be careful. Think matchups. We're going to break the game down Tuesday night. Think matchups before you just go blindly betting. Make sure you know who and what each team is and are. What's going to happen to Jimbo Fisher? That's the question. If I got DM'd that question one time, I got DM'd 50,000 times. This has got to be what Billy Lucci feels like. So, let me measure my words carefully. I feel like we're at a tipping point with Jimbo. I think something's going to happen. Uh, This is their eighth consecutive loss on the road. They've lost three already. They're probably not done losing. They still got South Carolina. They got a road game at Ole Miss. They got Mississippi State. They got a road game at LSU. They're they're not good enough to beat all those teams. And frankly, they're probably just not going to be good enough to do what they should do at Texas A&M. Now, you know, I look at this program differently. A lot of folks look at them, and since they haven't won national titles or SEC titles, they think that they're equal to other programs that haven't done that. The difference is there is no external factor keeping A&M from being a premier program. Everything that's keeping A&M from being a premier program is internal. All due respect to Missouri, there are external factors working against Missouri. There is no external factor working against Texas A&M. It's all they're doing, and I think it's going to end up being their undoing or something they need to undo and fix. Seven and five is the most likely scenario, I would say, right now for this team the rest of the year. They will not have had a double-digit win season in the six years that Jimbo's been there. I just feel like we're kind of at a tipping point here. You know the old seesaw effect. Eventually, you put enough weight on the other side. There's your tipping point. It's nothing completely special about what happened yesterday. It's not like you woke up. It's not like I woke up yesterday morning and thought, Jimbo's good enough five hours later. Nope, he's not good enough anymore. No four-quarter football game does that to me. But I'm not the one making the decision. I feel like probably straw that broke the camel's back is a firm way to describe this game yesterday in the eyes of a lot of A&M power brokers. Not all of them. This is not a consensus-held opinion, I would imagine, amongst all of them. But I know enough to know those folks are not going to let that dollar figure be the end-all, be-all on this, even if it's in the 70-plus million-dollar range. They are, if they're steadfast enough, that's not going to stand in the way, which is a wild thing. I know if you're new to college football or if you're just listening because someone you're close to loves college football and you know nothing about this sport and you just happen to hear my voice right now and I just told you, <laughs> A $75 million check's not going to stand in the way of firing someone. Yeah, you heard me right. We pay folks tens of millions of dollars to go away in this sport. And it may happen down in College Station. This would be the story of college football. If the Texas A&M job were to come open, I have no knowledge that it's going to, so this is purely hypothetical. If the Texas A&M job were to come open, you would quickly realize the coaching industry views the A&M job way different than fans do. Fans look at the A&M job as a second or third tier job. You are outside your mind. Everything you need to win national championships is there. Also, 
I'm not talking potential. It's literally there. It is a turnkey contender for the right staff. The right staff comes in there and wins overnight with the pieces that have already been assembled and the infrastructure that's already been built. It is an immaculate place to visit. It is a wonderful program. It is ideally located. It's ideally built. It's it's situated the right way. It's got the right support. It's got a really good root system. All of the above. Every box is checked. So what's going to happen? What is going to happen there? I'm just leaving it blank. Like I'm letting you answer the question right now in your own mind. Tennessee Bama this week, though. Tennessee Bama this week. Let's get ready for that. Uh, Moving on. Another game here to talk about. Got several to talk about. Yeah, uh, I had someone in the live chat ask about Miami. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about him in just a second. Don't worry. Don't worry, we're not going to dodge it. Mm. But first, something monumental happened last night. Mm, Yeah, immunity. Florida did the unthinkable. Florida 41 South Carolina, 39. Florida, who could not beat air on the road lately, not only goes on the road and gets a win, they beat South Carolina in October, which to me is one of the most Herculean feats that I've seen this college football season. I don't want to say Florida's the favorite to win the SEC East now, but it's really close. If you can do this, you can do anything. This unbelievable tip of the cap. This is only partial sarcasm, by the way. This is a really big win for them. And then I had a bunch of Florida folks fill my DMs and say, Cocktober is Cocktober. And that was beautifully articulated, so much so that I had to deliver it on the show and speak for you guys. Florida was down 10 with nine minutes left. Like, I think most of the world thought, here we go again. I think maybe a lot of Florida fans thought, here we go again. Mm-mm. Graham Mertz said, mm-mm. You brought me in from Wisconsin. I dreamed about nights like this. Uh, 30 of 48, 423 yards and three touchdowns. How do you feel when Graham Mertz drops over 400 on your head? You got to ask a South Carolina defender that. Uh, Ricky Pearsall is a grown man. Pearsall's a good player, man. He's, He's been a good player long before last night, but it was good to see him 10 catches, 166 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Pearsall, very acrobatic. He, he can make the wow play for you as well. You notice Graham Mertz, Ricky Pearsall, both those guys are transfers. Got another promotional poster for the transfer portal here. They needed this in the worst way. You, here's the thing. A lot of, uh, and this won't shock you, a lot of fan opinion shifts game to game. We always see that. There's a, there's a 30% chunk of your fan base that could have their opinion 180 on you over the span of four quarters. I'm not personally that way, but a lot of people are that way. So the 30% that were ready to sell you down the river if you lose 41 to 39 are ready to say the program's headed in the right direction if you win 41 to 39. Well, here's the thing. The Florida program is headed in the right direction. You know, they currently have the number three recruiting class in the country for next cycle. Good players are on the way. Some good players are already there. They need more of them. They had had a walk-on at wide receiver last night. So, yeah... (laughs) To to say that we're going shot for shot with Georgia in the talent department, probably a little premature, but they're on their way. But this is like, it's the baby giraffe effect. Not every program just just starts year one under a new head coach beating their chest, ready to compete for championships. If you've ever watched a baby giraffe 
try and gain its footing. I regret not telling Director Colin to find footage of this. It can be iffy. It can be tough. Baby giraffes, first few times, they try and stand on those little pencils they call legs. They're wobbly. They fall down. It's, it's, it's hard to watch, but it's necessary. So you lose to Utah. You, you get run over by Kentucky. You're just, you're just the giraffe that fell down. You're a little baby giraffe. But you ever seen a full-grown giraffe? I frequented Toys R Us when I was a kid. Trust me, I've seen plenty of full-grown giraffes. And also, at Golden Park in Columbus, Georgia, Pine Mountain Wild Animal Safari bought sponsorships for the foul poles once upon a time. So they made the foul poles giraffes' necks because they had giraffes in Harris County, Georgia. Yes, they did. In captivity, of course. Uh, the giraffe neck does not do like the orca whale's tail. The giraffe neck does not like tilt over the longer it's in captivity. Thank the Lord. But yeah, so I know all about giraffes. I know this giraffe down in Gainesville could find its footing, given time. Possibly the most out-of-context late-kick line of the night. Um, time. It, 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 like Hootie and the Blowfish once told you, time. That's what we need. Will they have enough of it? Well, this is the kind that buys you at least another week worth of time. South Carolina's two and four right now. It does not get any easier. Here's the bad news. Okay, that, I guess that's the good news. They've got two wins. The bad news is... They were off a bye last night. This is it. That was your last chance to get back up and, and grab some air. Now you got to go back down. You got to face Missouri on the road. Oh, by the way, they got one loss. You got to go to AM. You got Jacksonville State. That's the team you choose to play from the lower ranks. Then you get Vandy. Then you get Kentucky. Then you get Clemson. Woof. So that weird thing I told you that happens sometimes when coaches start losing. And then people come to me to ask what, 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 what you think about it now. Like, I am Shane Beamer's keeper? Well, they started doing it last night about Shane Beamer. So I'll give you the answer. You ask me, what do you think about Shane Beamer now? I think he's got a bad football team this year. That's it. Still think the same thing I thought of him when he was overachieving the last couple of years. I don't think that he forgot how to coach. I don't think he, he got worse as a coach. I think you need to be real with yourselves and define what the expectation level at South Carolina should be. Now, that's where people don't want to go. Might as well be a dead-end road of conversation for a lot of people. Because everyone, everyone wants to think of their place as a place where you can do what Georgia's doing. You could do what Alabama's done. Well, not every place is like that. In fact, a vast majority of them are not. Far more often, the case is you ought to be pleased with eight win, nine win. And then if you have to have a bump in the road, you have a bump in the road. That doesn't mean progress isn't happening. It just means when the bottom falls out or when you have a, a flat tire any given year, programs like South Carolina don't have run flats. They don't just cruise to 10 wins even in a down year. That's not where they are right now. You're seeing a down year right now. That's what it looks like. More L's than dubs on there right now. I'm not saying you stand pat, you don't make changes, you're constantly evaluating. I don't have to say that for them to know that, obviously. But it, it's like this whole game-to-game -game thing again. Like, South Carolina wins this game last night, and there are people who are blasting Beamer and his staff today who would be telling you ardently, oh, they're on the right, they're on the right course. Coming out of that bye week, we got some stuff figured out. Cocktober, baby, Cocktober. Maybe Cocktober is Cocktober for one year. 
but I will see you all here again next year. Florida and Georgia in two weeks. That's it. They got to buy. So, so both of them have the hay in the barn to this point. Down in Jacksonville, two weeks, Florida, Georgia. Anybody buying it? Anybody? Yep, we'll see. Uh, Florida has five wins. I just want to kindly remind you, their over-under win total was five and a half. Well, well, well. Next up, that's that time. And, and, and of course, by that, I mean time to apply my chapstick. Goodbye, dew points. And uh, goodbye, Miami. North Carolina beat Miami 41-31. to A lot of that was garbage time points. Don't be fooled. It wasn't as close as the score indicates. North Carolina's really good. I don't know what else to tell you. This is a legitimate championship contender. What, for the ACC? No, no. They're in the big conversation right now. As crazy as that is to say, they're in the big conversation. Now, here's what happened. Miami was up at halftime. But that is only part of the book, kids. You need to flip. Read the next few chapters. Those chapters have North Carolina going 24 to nothing to start the second half. You know, there was a lot of Drake May hype coming into this game. Rightfully so. Premier quarterback. Big-time talent. That is not even what I took away. I was, I was at a little place called Cactus in downtown Seattle last night. Great little Mexican place. Should have been more crowded than it was, but I wasn't complaining. So there I am at Cactus, and I'm, I'm watching two games at once because I did have the bartender put one TV on UTSA UAB for reasons we'll get into later. But we also had North Carolina Miami on. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, at least Miami can lean on their run defense, right? It's number two in the country. And then North Carolina rips a runoff, and then another run, and then another run. And lo and behold, by the time the dust clears, North Carolina's hung 235 on the ground. What happened? North Carolina happened. They're really good. You can either choose to say, oh, man, we just had a down game. We shot ourselves in the foot. They shot you in the foot and the knee and the thigh and the chest. They ran over you. North Carolina owned the line of scrimmage. Just didn't see it coming. I didn't see myself saying that sentence this year, frankly. And also, defensively right now, uh, they've gotten off the deck. They don't have to be elite. The, like, the rule, if you got the offensive talent and firepower they've got is, you just need to be opportunistic and good enough defensively. They're 42nd in points per game allowed. They're 29th in rush yards per game allowed. That's good enough. That's good enough. Situational football plus pretty good defensive statistics, that's good enough. Miami needed a mistake-free game here to rebound from the catastrophe against Georgia Tech. They did not have that. They were minus four turnovers. I don't know what to say. I, I think there is a good team somewhere here. Not in the future. I think the 2023 version of Miami, somewhere, if we can sift through all this, there is a good team. There's a good performance to be had. Maybe it'll come Saturday versus Clemson, but they needed it to come last night. And they didn't get it, and you can't be making mistakes against Georgia Tech or North Carolina. They may just beat you anyway. But especially when they're taking the ball away from you, they're going to beat you. And that is the problem with losing to Georgia Tech. You dropped this game last night. It's your first conference loss. You still got everything to play for. Um, no, not your second conference loss. You're not going to play for the ACC championship now. You got to redefine your, your goals because you're not going to be able to be in the mix for that. I think they're still a year away in several areas of this team. 
Um, I'm not going to, you know, continue to beat a dead horse, but obviously this happens. I leaned Miami to win. For the record, the model was not higher on any team last week than it was on North Carolina. Information I kept from you on the show. The model loved North Carolina. Loved it. And I ignored it. And the model won this one. The model wins the battles against me. I normally win the war against the model because if it continues to beat me, I'll just shut it down. Um, I either win contests or I quit them because they're unfair. That's one of the rules on the show. Another rule is I've never had a wrong prediction. I've either been right or kids, coaches, or officials have screwed it up. And I maintain that with a straight face. I maintain that. So I think there's a good team here. But that's, that's potential and maybe in the future. North Carolina's good right now. And mind you, I haven't spoken about a certain individual on the North Carolina Tar Heels football team until right now. I wanted to save this for the end. You remember before the season started, there was this name I got pretty worked up about. I don't have any plans to apologize for it either. Tez Walker, remember that name? Yeah. NCAA says, you cannot play football this year. And everyone says, why? And they say, well, can't get a waiver. He's, he's transferred twice. Yeah, guys, but he didn't play but once because there was COVID that shut down the year where he was up here, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, you remember all that. And then they tell him you can't play. And then randomly, last week, they come out and say, oh, wait, wait, never mind, he can. And then they try and feed you some garbage about how he misfiled paperwork or didn't include proper information. Clown show. Anyway... Last night, can you imagine NCAA officials watching Tez Walker, six catches, 132 yards, three touchdowns? I picture strong Warden Norton energy from Shawshank. These are not people who are ever out for the best interest of student-athletes to begin with. In fact, they invented the term student-athlete. So henceforth, we will just refer to people like Tez Walker as ballers. Because that's what he was last night. Anybody at NCAA headquarters who doesn't understand what that means, I will send you, we'll send you a helpful dictionary later. But Tez Walker goes off last night, and I just, I know I was in Seattle. I would love to have been in Indianapolis. Most of those folks probably went to bed before 8.30, before this game was over. But I would have loved, as they sip their warm milk, to toast with them and say, look at our guy here. Look at our guy. And they're over there with sullen faces. NCAA officials are the only people in the United States that have no smile wrinkles, no matter how old they get. But I sure did last night. I love watching this. So good for North Carolina. Uh, they are rolling right now. Really dangerous team. And they have the following. This is what stands between them and potentially going to the playoff. They have Virginia at Georgia Tech. Campbell. They're playing the Camels. Uh, they have Duke at home, then they go to Clemson and to NC State, and then it would potentially be the ACC championship game. You see all of a sudden how real it becomes? It could happen. It, 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 Colin, take another shot for a second. <clears throat> it's time to do it for the first time this year. JP, Angels in the outfield, it could happen. We are flapping for the Tar Heels. This is for you, Katie. It could happen. Let's do some added takeaways from yesterday and last night. 
They're, they're watching us in Hayden, Idaho, New Smyrna Beach, Florida is tuned in, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and Greenville, South Carolina. A ton of people in the live chat right now. Make sure you like the video. Just the two favors we ask, click thumbs up. Like the video, please, please. Meemaw taught me better than that, please. And whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on podcast, subscribe. That's what helps us more than anything. That's it and that's all. No hidden gimmicks or anything like that. You don't need to sign up for anything. Just subscribe for free, and that's it. Okay, so I'm in the press box up in Washington yesterday before our game kicked off, and I'm watching Bama, and they go up 24 to 6. And someone says to me, oh, looks like Bama's taking care of business today. And I said, stick around. I, don't, I think that's one of the most dangerous scores in football. If you don't have pull-away potential, which Alabama doesn't this year, 24 to 6 is so misleading. It is a two possession game or it's yeah, it's it is not out of reach. That's what it's not. And so yesterday, it's a three possession game, my bad. Um, Alabama found out how quickly that gap could close. Is what they found out. So they collectively take their foot off the gas. Arkansas just doesn't stop fighting cuz they'll never stop fighting. And what ended up happening was Bama has to stave off Arkansas. And they did. Uh, I saw Kublik earlier today, missing in action last week on the show. I saw Kublik uh, earlier today on Twitter saying, this is kind of a shot play offense now. It's pretty much what they are. Trying to run the ball, won't do a very good job of it, but still need to stay committed to it, and then hope to hit a 70-yard pass downfield. And that's the Alabama offense right now. Uh, they're still good enough defensively to where it can work, uh, but it's, it's, very, it's very prone to droughts. And they had a drought in the second half yesterday. I think they scored three points. So, or they did, I don't, did they score in the second half? If they did, it wasn't much. So Arkansas has lost five straight games by totals of seven, three, 12, seven, and three. You want to know what would really have them shook if I were to tell them we got Arkansas power rated 30th in the JP poll right now and they're two and five because we factor in quality of competition there. And uh, Arkansas is a pretty good team. And then I dug in furthermore today. Did you know that we have Arkansas power rated higher than Iowa or Wisconsin? Which means we would have Arkansas favored to win the Big Ten West right now. As is, right now we would have them favored to win the Big Ten West. This was their fourth game on the road in four weeks. Because one of them was a neutral site game in Dallas. Should never happen, but it happened. Uh, next up, I need you to pay attention to me. I think, I don't know, but I think I know maybe paper pop time in Manhattan, Kansas. Just let's tiptoe here because if I'm wrong, I don't want this thrown back in my face. I think Kansas State may have found something yesterday. They won 38 to 21 over Texas Tech. And we're always looking for the ignition moment in the middle of seasons. We're always looking for the, that engine to turn over for some of these teams we thought would be contenders. It may have happened. Kansas State yesterday they ran the ball all day long 272 yards on the ground five touchdowns rushing all five of them by the quarterback who Will Howard no Avery Johnson replaced Will Howard not because of injury but because of coach's decision uh, Avery Johnson is a he is a baller Avery Johnson's a really good athlete like a phenomenally good athlete we saw him at Elite 11 two years ago he can play and he showed you that yesterday. 
And how many times have we seen that? You have a quarterback change. It's kind of unexpected. And all of a sudden, the team rallies around it. You watch him play. Go watch that second half from yesterday. Watch how that team responded. You tell me that looks like a team that's mailed it in. Not that anyone was suggesting that. But they've got TCU this week. They got Houston. And then they go to Texas. I think Kansas State may have found something. I think the Ramen Noodle Express may be noticing that as well. So let's just keep an eye on the Wildcats. Um, sorry, Colin. I should have, uh, should have spoken slower there. This is called filler to allow that graphic to be red. And all right, we're good. Did you notice what happened to Louisville yesterday? It hurts me. hurts my heart. It's not like I was rooting for it. But there are some teams we're pretty locked in on right now. Notre Dame, we got them figured out. Louisville, we got them figured out. That's how we picked Louisville to beat Notre Dame and then told you they're in trouble. When they went to Pitt yesterday, they're in trouble. They lost 38-21. to It was just a bad spot for them. It's that external dynamic thing. You cannot have a team like Louisville, as new as they are, start to be told, ACC championship? Should we start looking at tickets? No, you should be looking at Pitt because they're going to beat you because the gap between you undefeated at the time and Pitt what were they like a one or two win team yesterday it was not really all that wide and out of nowhere you lose the running back and your minus three turnovers and the weather sucks and the outcome sucks and there you are and you now have one blemish on your resume uh Pitt 24 to nothing in the second half I, I would say that's a paper popper I'd say that's a padlock stat wouldn't you so now no, nothing's lost. Everything's still in play, but this is reality. Louisville probably needed this. This is reality. Uh, Auburn did not need what happened to them yesterday, but it happened anyway. LSU skull drug Auburn. This was a splattering. 48 to 18. Spread was 11 and a half. Auburn was coming out of their bye week. Like there were reasons to think they may have some offensive success, just, just none that happened in the game yesterday. LSU has one SEC loss. I just want to keep reminding people, we're going to do a segment Tuesday night um, that loosely centers around this. There are teams the public has written off that you better not write off. Don't write LSU off. They've got one conference loss. They still control their destiny in the SEC. They're going to go to Alabama in a few weeks. That's their next conference game. Their conference loss is to Ole Miss. If they win the rest of their games, they will be in Atlanta. And the rest of their games are at Tuscaloosa, Florida, and Texas A&M. Those are the three conference games they have left. They control it. Like, they are still in control of their own destiny. And if your losses are Florida State and Ole Miss, one of them's top 10, the other one's top 20, and you win the rest of your games, like, everything's still in play is my point. It's a flawed team. I'm not suggesting they're not. I am suggesting... There are a handful of teams out there that are in the process of getting better. Maybe LSU is one of them. Who knows? Um, did you stay up Friday night? Did you watch Colorado and Stanford? I did. It helped that I was on the West Coast. Everyone was still awake out there. 46-43, to 43, Stanford shocks Colorado. But if you tuned into the Thursday show, we threw this in the upset special segment. And I tried to remind you, same thing I tried to remind you with Pitt-Louisville. Don't let yourself become fooled by these records. The gaps between these teams are not as wide as those records indicate, but the whole you are what your record says you are crowds out there 
And then they're really emboldened when Colorado goes up, and I kid you not, 29 to nothing to start the game. Then they start tweeting. Death sentence. Here comes Stanford. Boom, boom, boom. That receiver going up against Travis Hunter was one of the best matchups that I saw all weekend. Unbelievable. He had 13 receptions. So the kid has no receptions in the first half. Ends up with 13 for 294 and three touchdowns and just went at Travis Hunter. Like what a matchup that was to watch. Colorado was in their seventh straight game. Stanford was off a bye, fully rested. Just look at those dynamics. There is money to be made in the middle of seasons when you find those games. Uh, Michigan took care of business yesterday. Don't have much to say. Ohio State took care of business impressively. Penn State, ditto. Don't have a lot to say. They're going to start playing each other here soon. Missouri is 6-1. and one. They beat Kentucky handedly, 38-21. Their only losses to LSU. You want one of those dynamics-type moments? Missouri does not play anyone this week. No, it plays South Carolina this week. Actually, it's a really big game. Then they're off the next week. They're off while Georgia's playing Florida, and then Georgia plays Missouri right after that. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Everyone thinks they've got everything figured out. Let's just be careful. Except if you're the Ramen Noodle Express, because we kind of have things figured out right now. Yet another winning week. We're at 57% on the year. Uh, Let's get better. Why don't we? Two early best bets here. One of them is a weeknight game. Sam Houston State, minus four and a half. We're taking them. And Wake Forest, we bet yesterday. They got blown out. We're just going to bet them again. We're taking them right at pick. Now, look, Wake Forest is going to be minus one at some of your books. Just bet a money line. Because it's minus 110 right now, so it's, it's essentially the same as betting pick. I wouldn't be money lining you guys and trying to inflate our numbers here if we couldn't get it at even juice. So Sam Houston State, Wake Forest. I got uh, to be honest with you, I haven't really slept since yesterday morning. So it's a minor miracle that we made it this far. I had to yell yesterday to be heard. So it's a moderate miracle that my voice is still here. But we made it. So we're, we're through the finish line tape. Um, is there anything else I need to remind you? Yeah. Once again, please subscribe to the channel and follow on the socials at late kick Josh. We're growing numbers, leaps and bounds on those things. And I appreciate it because you know, management could come in here and drag us out at any second and you wouldn't even know where to find me. That's where to find me. I don't have it on any good authority. That's about to happen, but that's the thing about management. They strike when you least suspect it. Bear attacks I'm told happen the same way. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless.